she just let me ride in. Black and White Podcast with Eric and Evan Elliott. Big dog. What's up, man? What is happening, bro? Not much, dude. I've just spent the last 30 minutes uh, trying to listen to the entirety of the Watch the Throne album. And, man, it's been fun. (laughs) That's when you got to really, like... <clears throat> that's when you got to really like sit back for it. it takes more than 30 minutes to digest greatness Dude. when it comes from yay and jay-z oh my gosh and I, I know I, I know kanye is wild and he's all over the place and he's surrounded in controversy but man when kanye writes a bar that hits it hits it hits and i was just like i've heard the song no church in the wild a thousand times but I don't know what it was. I was just listening to it, and that intro hits. What's a king to a god? What's a god to a non-believer? And then it just hit me. I was like, ooh. Right. What? What? That's tough. Dang. That's Them tough. Two, they're crazy. Them two went crazy on that album. They did. They did. And that's not even the best song on the album. Nah, it's not. Not, not even, even close. Not, not <laughs> even. May- oh. What's the other what not made is it made in America? What's the hold made on made in America you got uh ends in Paris uh for the white people that's non specific racial group from a city in <laughs> France from a city in France. We we all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you, you know exactly what it is. They had to <laughs> they did they did the song live and that video is on YouTube. They did the song live in Paris and did it like 50 times in one show because the crowd oh could not get enough. Dude, I would have given any. <clears throat> I mean, that's one of the hardest beats I've ever heard on any song ever. Just, yeah. just that simple dun 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 dun. Like, yeah. gosh, that it's was top. Some... it's top. It's top. It really is. That's one of the best albums I've ever listened to. But anyways, that's not even what we're talking about tonight. I just. <laughs> Hey, you gotta hey, you gotta warm it up somehow. You gotta warm it up. So yeah, w- welcome the people, brother. Go ahead and welcome the people. Welcome, peeps, to J House Podcast Radio. We are live. I've been moving, so we're just now getting the chance to get back on this pod. Sorry if you hear the background noise. I'm outside at the current moment. This is my my podcast area now. So this right here all of our listeners has been the very DNA of <clears throat> a lot of me and Evan's early podcasts. I would say I would go back as far as our like first 50, 60 episodes, maybe even our first 100 episodes. This conversation has been in the DNA of our podcast forever because me and you have always taken these uh, two different stylistic approaches when it comes to superheroes and Mm -hmm. how they're betrayed and how we've had the privilege of having this broad range uh, spectrum over the past 10 or 15 years to experience these heroes, right? In Mm -hmm. every single facet, every single exploration, every single timeline, 
now that we're getting into the multiverse ideas and things like that. So me and you have had a pretty great, and I think we could, I think we could agree that the culture has had a pretty great sample size of heroes and superheroes and where you can go and where you can take them in these past 10 or 15 years. So um, to start it off, the tweet that started this, that, that got this, cause I'm glad you brought it up and I knew the day was going to come where you were going to, you were going to bring this up and I'm glad you did. Because today's the day and I love it. Mm-hmm. The tweet in question was um, the boys TV shit, TV series and the, the Twitter account is very active on there. They interact with a lot of the fan base and a lot of the community and they interact with other pages. They interact with Marvel and DC and all. They're just they're fun like that. They're crazy and they interact with fans. And so me um, being the person that I am, you know, that here at J House, me and you have had the opportunity for our platform and brand to be recognized among those pages who have been supportive in different areas and vocal about different things. I've had the opportunity to support the Snyder Cut movement, Justice League, all that. And whole Snyder night. himself has given you credit for that. So before, yeah. before we go any further, we got to put respect on Eric. Snyder himself had, re- and regardless of if I think he's good or not, which I do, or anyone's opinion, that's freaking ridiculous that Snyder did that. That says a lot about his character, and my respect for him went up exponentially. Go ahead. Absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. And that's, and that's not even me bragging. That's just me. I wish that more creators, I wish everyone would be as vocal as, as Zach is with his creators. That's why I'm glad the creators of The Boys and whoever runs their Twitter account is active because fans love that interaction. Right. They love that. I wish that more creators were like that. But that's neither neither here nor there. Right. Um, the tweet in question I said was that The Boys is a very cultured take, a very honest take, on superhero culture and telling the truth about it and them giving respect and putting, you know, the whole Warner Brothers, Zack Snyder situation as sort of like a satire or parody into the show and stuff is a very big culture moment. I thought that was very awesome. And then the boys Twitter account replied with, oh, we're just stuck at the part where you call it the boys culture and they like the tweet and then they commented that, which I found to be funny because they're, they're crazy like that. So, so to, to, I'm going I'm to give it to you and then I'll go second because I had to prepare for this one because I knew this was one that I had to like, I had to go get my notes down and clarify my points because I don't want to get anything mixed up. So do you, do you want to take, your perspective on on the situation yeah yeah let me go ahead i've got the tweet right here i'll read it word for word word for word word for word this is what eric said eric said i love how hashtag the boys is this brutally honest take on superhero culture while simultaneously recognizing how superheroes should be done by giving props to Zack snyder that's culture or just my view on it hashtag Zack snyder with a little goat emoji and then about 12 uh, 100 with the two dash lines under it so that's the tweet now okay l- allow me to clarify my position and what not necessarily i take issue with but something i want to push back on yeah it's okay l- let me start off by saying i've never watched the boys I'm, I'm aware of it i know the premise of it it's you've got these corporate superheroes 
who are practically super villains in actuality, right? Yeah, really messed up human beings. Like, yeah. it, it's really a step further than Watchmen because in Watchmen you've got people that are good, but they're not really grounded in any strong morality. They're just kind of they're they're gray. They're very morally gray superheroes, or yeah. if you even want to call them that. Um, and then the way the movie ends is the same way. It's like th there's never a definitive, this is right, this is wrong. Just like the whole movie is just morally gray, morally gray. And that's yeah. great for uh, Watchmen. I think it works amazingly for uh, Watchmen. Now, yeah. and, but as I understand it with the boys, it's taken it a step further and saying, no, these superheroes aren't morally gray. They're evil. Yeah. They're very, like yeah. Homelander, for example, he's straight up evil. Right. Yeah, he's very messed up from his childhood, and he's downright evil. Yes. All right. So that, and and that's fine. Now, granted, I, the reason I've never watched The Boys is just because I've seen a couple of clips that just really didn't get my interest. And then there was one clip that was showed to me from season three, involving Termite. I think is his name. That yeah. I look. I I'm not gonna. That, I thought, was a little much. That's all I'm going to say. I think that was a bit much. I'm all for gore. I'm all for brutal. I'm all for all that. But Jesus. That's a bit much. God have mercy. That's a bit much. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Anyone that's watched the show knows what I'm talking about. I had to run in the kitchen just to cover my eyes because I couldn't bear to see it. I was like, What? couple of guys that I worked with showed me that clip and I said well thank you you've just convinced me to never watch this show yeah I'm sending all the bill for my therapy for this <laughs> dang but that's neither here nor there right, right. here's what I want to push back on is the the exact wording of brutally honest take on superhero culture had you said, I love how the boys is this fresh new perspective, the boys is this different view, the boys is, you know, a breath of fresh air, that I wouldn't have pushed back on. I'd have been yeah. like, okay, okay, that's a subjective opinion. We all have it. And that would actually be true because the boys is unlike anything else. The part that I want to push back on is when you say the words brutally honest. I push back on that because it's my opinion, and I say the same thing about Watchmen, that what you call brutally honest, I call overly pessimistic, overly negative. The mm. idea of superheroes really aren't superheroes because superheroes really wouldn't exist in the real world because the real world sucks so bad that nobody can be good in this world. And here's my issue. I agree that the world's messed up. We're going to agree on that. Even in, you know, you take Batman, for example, he lives in Gotham. Right. Which is a very messed up city. In every movie and comic you read, the police department's messed up. Everything's messed up. But yeah. despite all of that, the, the thing that's made Batman this transcendent symbol for superheroes and why he's been around for so long is because Batman's morality is such, and he is so unshakable in what he believes, 
that somehow, some way, Batman's going to overcome all the evil in Gotham. Somehow. He's going to pull it off. You don't know how, but in the end, you know Batman's not cracking. You can beat him up. You can do whatever. And I'm not even talking about the no-kill code. I'm just talking about his vision. Situation in general. For Gotham. He has a vision that Gotham can be a safe haven city. And he's not letting anyone stop him from believing that. Not the crooked cops, not the villains, nobody. Because if you look at the villains, Joker especially, their goal isn't really even to kill Batman. It's just to be like, you idiot, give up. Humanity is garbage. It's not worth saving. And Batman's like, well, number one, who the hell are you to say that? That's not battle of ideologies. Yeah, exactly. And then number two, the issue becomes, okay, not only who are you to say that, but number two, you're not the only person to have something bad happen to them. Right. Like something bad happened to you. And now you've just completely caved in to being evil. Something bad happened to Batman. He took the hard path and found a way to turn that tragedy into something beautiful. And he believes that Gotham can also be something beautiful. Which is why I love the Dark Knight trilogy so much, especially the ending of Dark Knight Rises. Batman seemingly makes the ultimate sacrifice. They erect the statue of Batman. And you're left thinking it's a new day in Gotham and everybody's been inspired by Batman. It's it's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. All right. In my opinion, that's what superheroes should be. Right? Like you could have moments where the superhero is beaten, like, you know, Christian Bale had his moments of, you know, getting his back literally snapped in half. Yeah. You have Rachel dying. You have him failing to save Harvey Dent. You have his house being burned down. So it's not like, you know, roses and peaches. Hey, I'm Batman and everything just works out the way I want it to. No, it's this, my morality, like people are trying to break me. I'm on the brink of breaking, but I can't break because the moment I break, everything's going to go to hell. Right. The moment that happens. So in my opinion, that's what superheroes should be. And that was also evident in No Way Home. I just watched that again last night. And yeah, I'd say the first, I'm going to say something real quick, Eric. Are you sitting down? I'm sitting down. I'm relaxed. Okay, I'm relaxed. because you're, you need to be, because I'm going to say something that's going to shock you. All right, you ready for this? I'm ready. Toby Maguire is my favorite Spider-Man now. That's not good. That don't surprise me at all. And That, that now, doesn't surprise my, me at all. My, well, I only say that because I've said so much in the past about him. Yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah, and here's why. I mean, yeah, Tom. I still hold the position that Tom Holland's a better actor, and he's more like what I think Spider-Man looks like, and all that. Yeah. But Tobey Maguire lecturing him about losing Uncle Ben and telling him about, look, dude, I at one point thought I wanted the same thing you think you want now. I've yeah. been, I've, I've been there. I found the guy. He died because I thought I wanted him dead. Yeah. Well, guess what? When he died, I didn't feel any better. Yeah. The, the path to revenge, it doesn't work, man. It don't work. It never has worked. It never will work. It's not going to make you feel any better. That's right. not That's not to say that villains don't deserve to be punished. Obviously, they got to face justice. But it's to say that when you kill somebody in cold blood like that, 
it changes you. It changes yeah. you because you allowed that resentment to take you to the point where you're like, I'm hunting you down and I'm killing you. Like that's right. a, that's a dark path to go down. I'm watching that. That was beautiful. So my issue with stuff like the boys and calling that brutally honest is because in the boys, you've just gone to these heroes are straight up evil, not even heroes. They're just evil. So it, I, I don't see it so much as they're explaining the truth. I, I see it more as this is just overly pessimistic. This is, there's no really inspirational message to heroes in the boys, I would say. Now, I understand some people hearing that are going to mock me and be like, oh, this guy, he just can't handle, you know, the brutality and, you know, the matureness of the boys, which I don't even have time to respond to that nonsense. Um, yeah. But my, my stance is simply, rather than brutally honest, I would say that heroes have always represented or at least tried to represent the best in humanity. That's what makes them heroes. Because almost, I mean, Eric, let me, let me ask you this. How many villains take the stance, humanity is garbage? Pretty much all of them. Yeah, one, one could say all of them. Yeah. I mean, depending on here or there, one, one, one could say all of them do. I mean, that's what, I mean, you look at, I mean, Thanos, for example, you know, he's getting on his self-righteous high horse like, oh, yeah, overpopulation. So let's just do half of you. Yeah, let's just kill half of humanity. And that makes me a good person. <laughs> right. Like, you know, obviously you see what's wrong with that. Hopefully, I hope people see what's wrong with that. If you don't, my gosh. Um, but my point being superheroes represent the best in us. And what separated them from villains is they believe in something. They believe in hope. They believe in so many things. And it's that hope and that faith that's gotten them through all the tough stuff. Like, Bat yeah. like Batman's vision for Gotham in the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises, like crawling out of that hole. He's like, man, I ain't got nothing left but Gotham. But I started out, I set out with a goal. I set out to do something. I'm in this hole. I'm not staying here. Gotham needs me. Even though Gotham ain't done anything for me. Gotham has done nothing for me. Like, yeah, Bruce Wayne lived in a big house, but I mean, he had no parents. I don't care how big your house is. If you watch your parents get shot in front of you, no amount of money makes up for that. Right. But then you contrast that with like the Riddler's position. Just, oh, because my life was harder than yours. That now makes it okay that I'm going to flood all of Gotham and play God and act enact judgment on everybody. Yeah. See, that's the problem. And that philosophy, I'm seeing the villain philosophy implemented in heroes more and more and more. And I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't really seem like brutally honest. This just seems like we're just having an over-pessimistic view on things because we refuse to believe that there's anything truly good in today's culture. Right. So that's my stance. I mean, I don't, I don't really blame you. Um, it's, it's a very broad, very broad thing to, 
to take in. And I do, I do understand that perspective. And one could definitely see that it will, it seems to be that the boys will be more pessimistic than anything. Um, as it pertains to my tweet, that is an opinion tweet. Right. I will, I will establish that. That is an opinion tweet. I never, I did not state that as a fact for anyone who would think that that is my opinion. I do believe that the boys is a brutally honest take on superhero culture. And when I say, and and I wrote down three points so I could clarify that I told you I was going to clarify a lot of what I meant. Point number one is that when I say honest take on superhero culture, I'm talking about the world in which we live in the superheroes and how we look at them and how we treat superhero culture. So the boys is a satire right it's a satire it's a different perspective a different take on the superhero world mm-hmm. it's a parody in some areas and then it gets dead serious in a lot of areas um so when i say on brutally honest take the boys i believe is telling the. now i don't know about the comics because i have not read the comics i will never read the comics because i got one look at a few pages and oh my god never again i that is no absolutely not that is beyond human comprehension of violence i can't look at it to save my life (laughs) the show different story so there's a lot of source material they've taken they've switched it up they've done new things in order to make some you know to adapt it that's the whole term of adaption so they haven't really necessarily taken everything from those books and you know so the boys and you can look at the parallels, obviously. You see Vought is this company that, you know, treats superheroes like products. They sell them. You know, they don't really care about good and evil or saving the world. They just want to make money. That's the bottom line. Um, you know, Homelander, all these different heroes that have all these issues. Um, it's And especially with season three, because... And that's why I gave it so much attention. And I don't maybe that could be to my biased nature, but I liked it. I enjoyed the way that the boys and their marketing team sort of played this fiddle, you know, of parody with uh, Warner Brothers and Justice League. You know, in the show they have the Vought cut of the Seven, uh, Dawn of the Seven, and they're you know making fun of Joss Whedon and. You know, they mentioned Zach and all, you know, all that fun stuff. That's fun to me because I'm like, okay, you're recognizing superhero culture as it pertains to our real life and how it has been treated, how Warner Brothers per se has treated um, when it comes down to when it comes down to cinematic universe. I'm not going to sit here and say that Warner Brothers has disrespected Batman with what they've been able to do with Batman and his guy. I'll never say that. That's not, you know. But when it comes down to the cinematic universe things, that's what the boys was kind of parroting and pointing out, and you can see it. So they point, they they poke fun at sort of everybody, and sort of you know parody a lot of the situation and sit, set, uh, make it in a satirical way. So when I say it's a brutally honest take, they are telling the truth about how some people look at superheroes and how companies do treat them. They're not, you know. And, and and that's that's something that you've told me in the past when we had to have that conversation about what the bottom line is with Warner Brothers and the DC Cinematic Universe. I did not want to accept with a bone of my body that 
Warner Brothers did not care about creating something original. I wanted to believe that they wanted to do something different. But like you said, it's a business at the end of the day. The bottom line, the billion dollar movies, that's their bottom line. That's their motivation for every choice they made, whether we and, agree and, and with And to them. be fair, that's also Disney's motivation. That's also Disney's motivation. But I mean, when you're a producer, that's all you care about. That that's true. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. We have to differentiate because while Disney is about their money, yes, and they've been making money for a very long time. They've been in the game making hits for a very long time. I cannot stress enough that the relationship between creatives and between producers and executives at Disney is better than most studios that's why they have that balance the studio can get what they want the fans can get what they want there's that balance with the with the marvel cinematic universe which is why it's been so successful in the boy huh i said oh yeah yeah in the boys that relationship between executive and studio and talent and company is totally like debaucherized it's the heroes coming up with ideas like hey i was thinking this vaught the company says no we're not doing that this is what we're going to do because this is what our number projections are this is what we need to try you know based on previous you know whatever this is what we need to do very little imagination about branching out with things new very you know it's not that so they told the truth that is a brutally honest truth about warner brothers that i believe i that i believe we could say is the truth. So when I say brutally honest, it's, it's, it is. It's being honest about how certain companies look at superheroes and how they've been treated in today's culture and entertaining to making money as above to... I'll give you that. Yeah. That, making that, original ideas. That, that, that is a very fair point, and I am actually 100% in agreement. I, yeah. I, I, I may have misread what your point, because I thought the point you were trying to make is like the when you said brutally honest, what, what I see so many people comment on Facebook, just the idea of superheroes can't be good. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I, I could never I could never say that. And here's here's why I could never say that. I'm glad you recognize I could never say that. And that brings me to point number two. The reason why I could never say that, like those people do on Facebook, is because superhero media has dominated culture for almost 10 to 15, 20 years we have grown we have gone up and down the spectrum and seen deconstructed heroes and characters and all the way to the regular base character base characters and who those characters are in their full essence so we've got a chance to really see everything you know what i'm saying from scarred superman to evil superman to good superman scarred batman you know pessimistic batman uh base character batman we've we've got to see all those different plays evil dr strange we all of it you name it we've seen it we've got to see it so it's not that i could never say and no one can really say that superheroes should not be good if if people want to say that hey we need to have a perspective on superheroes a take on superheroes where we need to see what this character would do in this given situation or how they would act I can get with that. I'm never going to say that, you know what I'm saying? And you've never heard me say this on any podcast ever. I'm never going to say that 
the portrayal of, you know, Superman and BVS and Batman and BVS is the definitive version. I can never say that. That's the ver- those are the versions that I love the most and the ones that I related to, the ones in those three movies, MOS, BVS, and ZSJL, where they go through those hard times, they make mistakes, and then they rise up. I can say that that's my favorite definition or version of those heroes, but I can never say that those are the definitive versions and that's how they should be, no matter how much I love them, because those characters don't belong to me and me alone. That's the issue with a lot of fans today. They don't understand that that character does not just belong to you. It belongs to generations of fans and different people who see those characters in different ways. So that's why we all have our different interpretations that we love. We can't say that there's one definitive version that could that is that 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 we could say that's how it should be done every time. I can't disrespect nobody like that by saying that. I'll never say that. Hey, every Batman going going forward from now, you got to do it just like Nolan did. You got to do it exactly like that. And if you don't do it like that, that version is trash. I can't say that because that would be a disrespect to Nolan and that would be a disrespect to anyone who's trying to do something different with the character. So I absolutely agree with you there that people people can't. And and I think that's an ignorant statement for people to make when they say uh, when they say, oh, you just can't handle the hard stuff. You just can't handle. Bro, it ain't even about that. Like it's not about being able to see who can handle the mo- the most gore. Season three of the boys wasn't even the most goriest. There was less gore in this season than there was season one and two combined. Seasons one and two were way more gory. Season three focused more on the trauma. It focused more on the backstory, why these heroes are like this, why they're so messed up, and it was it was definitely the best season yet, and it had it didn't even have as much gore or as much as that. It had a lot of crazy stuff in it, but they focused more on story and substance this season, which is why I thought it was great. And then my final point, and I'm going to pass it back to you. Point number three, deconstruction slash satire take must, uh, takes must be handled properly and done with the right character. So, Despite what I've said in the past, I don't want people getting this interpretation that we have to go do a deconstruction on every single superhero. Now, if a deconstruction is what it takes or a new perspective is what it takes to like get a character out of a slump or to bring it back to prevalence like Nolan did or or in my opinion, what Snyder did or any other any other example you want to make then that's fine if that's what it takes and it's done right and proper. But that does not mean just go take in every single character you see and deconstruct them if they don't need to be deconstructed. It's like, okay, so, and this is, and I'm going to make this point. Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, right? I know, I know, I know. I'm going to make this point. I know I've said in the past that I find that character to be a splitting interpretation and that I agree and I disagree with a lot of the things that character did. Now, I never answered the question as to should that have been done with that character to begin with? If you're asking me, no, it shouldn't have. It shouldn't. It should have never been done. That was an unnecessary deconstruction for any fans, for anybody out there listening who wants to try to refute that. I can destroy your argument in one point. Here's why, and I'm going to pass it to you. In Marvel and DC, 
we have seen evil Superman. We've seen evil Batman, evil Wonder Woman. Whatever kind of take you want on any DC or Marvel character, we have seen it. We've seen it. It's in the source material for those characters to go down those paths and be that way. Those interpretations are there. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me or shouldn't surprise anyone when we see a movie with an evil version of a superhero character or a more gray and pessimistic version of a superhero character. That's in the source material. It's not the prominent version, but it's in a variation of that character somewhere in the comics. It's in the source material. That's just what the creator chose to use. You will not find for Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, you'll find it in the EU where he did turn to the dark side in order to usurp Palpatine from his return and he was brought back to the good side after. But Luke never in any iteration will you ever see Luke Skywalker quit being a Jedi. You won't find it. It's not there. You'll have him changing things about the Jedi Order. You can have him turn to the dark side and turn to a Sith and then be brought back. But he would never quit being a Jedi. Ever, ever, never. If he was wrong, he admitted it and he fixed his mistake pronto ASAP. That is in the source material. But you'll never find what we saw in The Last Jedi in any of the Luke Skywalker source material, which is why I believe it was such a shock for everyone to see it. Well, and that that is an example, in my opinion, of an unnecessary deconstruction. Ryan did not have to do that. There was no need to do that. So that's my so that's my final point. Deconstruction and satire can be done, but it has to be done properly and with the right character. If it's unnecessary, it's unnecessary. So that's my final point. I pass it back to you. Well, let me let me tackle Star Wars real quick because anytime you bring up the Last Jedi, I can't bite my tongue. I just cannot. I know. I already know. I, I just can't, dude. Because and let me clarify something again. I've said a thousand times. I don't hate that Luke Skywalker. Like, okay, if if you're gonna make him a miserable hermit, I'm assuming Luke has screwed up big time. I'm assuming that Luke has killed somebody. I'm assuming if he's gone hiding into exile for this long, he hates himself this bad, and he has said, oh, I can't be a hero anymore. I'm just I'm just this miserable old grouch, and I'm a good-for-nothing. Oh, my God. I'm, right. thinking, I'm thinking, brother, did you burn down a building of orphans? Like, what did you do? What did you do? Like, what did you do so bad? I thought about killing somebody. What? You got to be kidding. Now, I understand there's some people that think it's ridiculous that he ever thought about killing him to begin with. And I, I, I'm with you. I think that was stupid, given this is the same guy that spent a whole movie convincing a child killer and the universal symbol of fear and oppression and evil and everything terrifying about the galaxy that he had good in him. Right. And then just turns around. With this guy and says, oh, bad dream, you got to go. That was bad writing. I don't care what anyone says, that was bad writing, stupid. And some people's defense is, well, they can't be human. So let me get this straight. Being human means if you make one mistake, you don't get over it. You pout about it your whole life. Right. Is that, is that what being human is? That is, is not. That what being, that's, that's not. Yeah. Is it human to make mistakes? Yes. We all make mistakes, but we have to get over them. 
Yeah. We have to. That's all we can do. Learn from our mistakes and move on with life. Now, that's easier for some than others, depending on what you did. But, I mean, if you're not in prison, you know, you can get – and, heck, there's even prisoners that change their life when they get out. Yeah. So the, I really hate this idea of people defending that by saying, well, he's just human. I mean, and I'm thinking, well, first of all, he's not a human. He's a freaking Jedi. Like, I understand technically he is human, but he's, but he's a, a Jedi. Jedi. And then number two, for him to be that miserable over that for that long is just ridiculous. So, I mean, it's not like the whole Jedi need to end and all that. Like, okay, whatever. You know, that I thought that was equally stupid, you know, but... It was just him that upset over that. And honestly, I don't care what anyone's opinion is when Mark Hamill himself says that he didn't like it either. Yeah, I'm rolling with Mark Hamill over everybody. Yeah. That just seems like common sense. But back on uh, your point about Warner Brothers and them not branching out and doing anything new, it's insane that that only applies to the DCU. It really is. I mean, because with the exception yeah. of the, the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, which even Peacemaker, man, just his, his rants about Batman being too weak. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we need people to be heroes like you and be just freaking miserable and hate themselves. That's yeah. what we that's what we need. But that whole argument of people like Batman's weak, I'm like, man, Batman is the most morally strong. You notice he's the only one who has some sense of inner peace. He's the only one. The heroes that go out and kill just all the time, Punisher, Peacemaker. Uh, They're troubled. Yeah, they, they are miserable. And yeah. but they use the whole, well, I'm just strong enough to make the hard choice. Like, no, you made the easy choice. Now I'm not right. now and that was the point Batman made in that uh comic under the red hood to Jason when he says it'd be too damn easy. Yeah. You know cuz Jason's trying to lecture him, "Oh why? Cuz you're too much of a coward to pull the trigger." And he's like, "No, you idiot. You think I haven't thought about killing him before? You think I haven't thought about killing him? I think about right. it every day." I'd love to do nothing more than drag his body out in the street right now and kill him in front of everybody. But if I do that, there's no going back from that because right. that man is that incorruptible symbol of hope, which you have to have when you have someone like Joker come to town who is this unfixable character, just unrepentant evil. Yeah. Which is what made that conversation at the end of the dark night. So powerful when Heath Ledger says, you truly are incorruptible, aren't you? Right. Like he realizes in that moment, like, man, this guy, this I can't guy, I can't get to you. Like, I've tried everything with like what the hell, man? You have morals. The rest of this city don't, but damn it, you do. And right. that like that, I love those scenes. But the best part of that whole thing is to sort of drive my point home about heroes needing to be morally sound. Yeah, I noticed something in the Dark Knight the last time I watched it for the I don't even know how many. Yo, yo. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about all that. Some internet problems. We got it all worked right, out. Good. So real quick, real quick to drive home point because I really want to get to our second topic.
because I'm really excited for that one too. Um, But with Heath Ledger, there was only one moment in that entire movie where he looked worried. The whole movie, he looks like a psycho. He's laughing about everything. He's this self-righteous, just talking about, you know, killing. He's just spewing his propaganda of, look how easy people are to manipulate. And I'm thinking, yeah, you manipulate people because you burn people, kill them if they don't agree with you. Yeah. Like, he's a full-blown psycho. But the one moment that he looked terrified was when the boats didn't blow up. And Batman looks at him and says, what were you trying to prove? That deep down, everyone's just as ugly as you? You're alone. And in that moment, you just see that look of, what if I'm wrong? Yeah. And that's why it's such a powerful moment to see Batman like kind of trolling. And then in the killing joke, it's even more so. He's talking about, you know, Commissioner Gordon is sane. And he's like, so maybe the world's not as evil as you say it is, Joker. Maybe the world's evil because you're out there making it that way. Yeah. Which, which is true, because at the end of the day, Joker's the one out there killing. Right. And all that self-righteous smooth talk that Joker does, talking about how evil the world is and how he's ahead of the curve and all that, that's just him desperately trying to justify him going out there and doing whatever the hell he wants. And right. so that's why you have to have Batman, who's there like, no, bro, you're wrong. You are wrong, and I'm going to prove you wrong. And in a way, yes, with Harvey Dent, Joker was kind of proven right, but the boat experiment proved him wrong. That's why he got so pissed off, because he's like, you're kidding me that a a bus of prisoners wouldn't get blown up? Like, people still believe in good, and that's what Batman was telling him. And then Joker's like, yeah, only until their spirit breaks, until they look at the real Harvey. I'm like, no, the real Harvey was the guy who was standing up for Gotham, but he got broke once his fiance died and half his face was burned off. Yeah. Which is like such an extreme example uh, for that. But my point is, when it comes to, as you're talking about deconstruction, it's my opinion that what has made characters like Batman and Superman so like what makes them rise up above the rest and the reason why you keep getting Batman movie after Batman movie after Batman movie, because the story of good beating evil, it never gets old. It's inspirational as all hell. And those characters inspire us to do better. And heck that, in my opinion, applies to the real world. Cause you look at the people that have actually changed history Martin Luther King, uh, even Malcolm X, uh, Winston Churchill, and many others. What they have in common? Unshakable beliefs. Unshakable. They didn't buy into this, you know, well, everything is subjective. So, you know, nothing is truly good. Nothing is truly wrong. Could you imagine if any of those men would have taken that position where this world would be now? Yeah. Like, it's like, think about if the I have a dream speech would have been, well, you know, can we really say this is wrong? It's subjectively wrong. And, 
you know, we just have to look at all perspectives here and take this into consideration. Like, no, stood up there. Hey, this wrong. And we're stopping this because it's wrong. It's evil. Winston Churchill did the same thing. He didn't say, no, nah, we know Germany. We have to understand where they're coming from. And, you know, they're just kind of, it's a different culture. No, Winston said we're going to fight on the beaches. We're going to fight in the streets. We're going to fight wherever because Germany is wrong. They right. are they are 100%. They are the bad guys, and it's on us to be the good guys and fight for what's right and what we believe in. And that's what's made the characters like Batman and Superman so and, – and even Spider-Man. Because Spider-Man has a strong moral foundation that he believes in. The whole great power comes great responsibility. I've got this power, but I don't have the right to just go out there and start killing people and become a tyrant and change the world by force. Like, no, I've got to work as this symbol of hope. I've got to inspire. Now, I'm not trying to crap on Watchmen or anything because I love the Watchmen comics. But for those, that's Alan Moore. That's one guy writing one group of characters, and that's his style, right? Yeah. So my take is, and I don't think you'll agree with me on this, that the deconstruction of Batman and Superman and BVS, in my opinion, was unnecessary. When I hear Superman say things like, no one stays good in this world, I'm thinking, bruh, you're Superman. I understand you're in a bad position right now, but if you lose hope, you get injustice comics. Like you see the result of a Superman who buys into, you're right, no one is really good. You can't be good. You get in the injustice Superman who eventually becomes the tyrant. And and that's not a knock on Snyder to say that BVS was bad. That's just to say that if Superman loses hope, that's an issue. Can Superman make mistakes? Absolutely. He's made mistakes. Now, I understand when he first came out, he was Mr. Perfect. And I understand people don't necessarily like that because it's kind of vanilla, boring. Fair, 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 fair. That's 100% fair. Yeah. But when you just have these heroes saying things like, yeah, there's really no such thing as good, then I'm thinking, then what are you putting the suit on for? Like, if there's no, like, why are you going out there and fighting in the name of subjective, you know, I guess, because why not? Because, you know, whatever. Like, you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, I I get where you're coming from. It's... So my, my final point would be not every hero should be watchmen because in watchmen, they're not even heroes. They're vigilantes because the definition of a hero, hold on. There's actually, I pulled this up. Hold on. A person who is admired, a hero is defined as a person who is admired or idolized for courage, outstanding achievements or noble qualities. I love Watchmen, but there's not a single character in that comic series that fits that description. There's just not. Not Rorschach, not Dr. Manhattan. It's all just subjective, 
our morals change as the world changes versus having found solid morals that work and are objectively good that make the world a better place. Well, in that case, I guess my final point would be that we have to differentiate. You're right, because not every hero should be deconstructed. Not every that 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 goes without saying. Not every hero needs to go there. With Watchmen, and Al, that's Alan Moore's perspective on heroes, because he grew up in a time where it was always that heroes were vanilla. They were always, you know, what I'm saying. So. Right. That's what made Watchmen so iconic was because it took and flipped it on its head and like just it truly observed human nature. Can human nature be saved? Can it be changed? And then it's revealed that despite Rorschach trying to do good, trying to bring out the truth and trying to save the world and do good because he believed in objective good, um, he couldn't change human nature. And that's what led to... um, that's what led to Ozymandias saying I had to trick the world into peace because these humans will never stop being, I had to trick it, you know, and Rorschach couldn't accept that. He's like, no, had you would have cared from the start and had we would have solved the problem from the start, none of this would have happened. And he's like, you might as well kill me if you're not going to tell the truth, if you're not going to pursue the objective good, the obvious truth and justice in this situation. And, you know that was unfortunate and that was a sad way that's that was a sad way for Rorschach to go and that was a crazy way for that story to end um but I'm glad DC continued it with uh with the new Watchmen comic too because they had to show the aftermath of that whether you read the movie yeah Doomsday Clock I'm glad you brought that up sorry to cut you off real quick point go ahead you remember how it ended right Doomsday Clock yes it's been a second since I've since I've read it. It's it, been about because in the year. second one, it's Doctor Manhattan has taken the position that humanity's beyond saving. Yeah, and he's, and he's just going to erase everything. Yeah, but it's Superman having that position of there's good here, and we can build on that, and we can drive out evil. And then, yeah. and then, Doctor Manhattan. This is a very oversimplified version of it. He realizes that, and at the end of it, he even says, "I've come to realize that yes, human beings are evil, and I can't change human nature, but I believe he can, because he gives the people someone to look up to, someone that they that we should all aspire to be like. Superman is that bridge to peace." So. Yeah. My take is Superman cannot be deconstructed in that way. In my opinion, he shouldn't be because once he is, he's not Superman anymore. Just because the morals are make him Superman, that belief in hope, that belief in people are good. Well, I wouldn't I would I would definitely push back on that just for the fact that in the in the fact that you in the point that you say that superman can't be or should not be deconstructed in the building of an iconic character there are moments where you have to go certain places in order to get that character to where it, where it was so and this is my last point with batman v superman suit that wasn't saying that this is who superman is no he just went through a hard time Lex Luthor, his arch nemesis, made him doubt himself, set him up 
and made him question his morals and values. Superman can question his values. It does happen. Questioning is one thing, but to flat out deny everything you believe in, I would say, is a step past that. He didn't. He didn't deny everything he believed in. He was just, he doubted himself. He had, he had less of a firm grip on what he thought the moral good was because he's operating in a world where he's like, I'm, that's the whole point of Batman of the movie. The first half of the movie, he's going around chasing Batman saying, Hey, you're not doing the right thing. You're not, you know what I'm saying? Blah, blah, blah. You know? And Bruce is like, okay, well, every time Superman saves a cat out of a tree, Y'all praise him, you know, but where I'm from, that's a very different reality we live in. So not everyone agrees with that. And then we have, of course, Batman v Superman goes into that conversation of what is good. Is good a unilateral decision? That's something that Lex had the country. Lex Lex had Superman questioning his own moral beliefs on that while he was setting him up. But by the end of the movie, super, I mean, at the end, Superman, uh, you know, via the talk with his dad, you know, his dad tells him, then I met your mother is good in this world. And that, yeah, things are going to happen. Things are going to go bad. Things, people will die. You will innocent. You know what I'm saying? But you cannot quit because of that. You have to keep going. That was the allegory his dad gave him, which is why he came back to save Lewis, why he came back to confront Lex. And yes, he did have to fight Batman because it was his mom. He he did. Even super that's Lex Luthor we're talking about. If your arch nemesis can't get a hold of you and make you, you know, firm, then he's not your arch nemesis. And that's the, exactly who Lex has always been. He's always been the mastermind. So in my opinion, Superman saying no one is good in this world, he's having to because his mother's on the line. Lex has Superman by the balls. But, and then this is my final point, which is why I always tell people, and and look, I'm going to say this because this is my belief. I believe that Batman v Superman was the most important deconstruction and rebuild in cinematic superhero history. It was important. Because up until that point, Superman wasn't really as relevant as Batman was. Batman, you can go that way. No one's going to blink an eye. You notice how people talk about Ben Affleck's Batman now. They love it. They disagree with him killing, and that's fine. But for the most part, there's really no ruckus about Batfleck. But because it's Bat, no, because it's Batman, and Batman is all iteration, and we're on to the next one because it's Batman. You know what I'm saying? It's Batman. Right. Super Superman, on the other hand, there hasn't been that. You know what I'm saying? Superman doesn't have that constant reiteration or constant reimagining. He's always been the same guy, pretty much, higher existence up until Man of Steel and Justice and things like that. That kind of take him down a different path. So what I'm saying is that Superman needed to be deconstructed in order to be brought to a place of prominence which he was by the end of batman v superman he realizes that this is just what comes with the territory and i can't quit believing in good just because all these things are going on around me and lex couldn't do that lex couldn't make him believe that either that's why he sacrificed the batman he brought the good out of batman a uh, batman who thinks that criminal 
you pull one up, another one grows in its place. You know what I'm saying? Nothing's going to change, Alfred. You know, and he thinks he's got to face down Superman because this is his legacy. I'm not going to get you started. To me, being a person who, who knows Batman is that kind of person who always has a way out, it was refreshing to me personally to see Batman come from that perspective. Did he quit being Batman? No. But he did break his own rules and he realized he was wrong in the end that construction has to lead to a reconstruction which is not what they did with luke in the last jedi so what i'm saying is this is it what i'm saying is that deconstruction has to lead to reconstruction if you're going to deconstruct superman you have to reconstruct him to build him back up to be who everyone knows him to be and last time i checked in Zack snyder's justice league that's who superman was you have to reconstruct Batman if you're going to deconstruct him. And last time I checked, in Zack Snyder's Justice League, Batman was optimistic. He believed in Superman's sacrifice. Oh, and absolutely. Crusader. Yeah. So that so that's that's my point. You just have to if you're gonna do that, you gotta bring the character back up the No, I, I agree with, with bringing them back, but my whole issue is, is is like I say, you know, you contrast it with Christian Bale just for an example not to you know ride nolan or anything but he's just the because like with michael keaton they never really made a big deal out of what batman believes in it was just your stereotypical he's batman he beats up bad guys he was killing bad guys and yeah he was crazy he's batman Batman, dude yeah exactly like you know drop like every time michael keaton shows up he's got to drop in from the ceiling all dramatic Yes, it's got to, and, you know, every villain. Oh, it's Batman! Oh, God! Which, I mean, hey, you know, we can laugh at that, but Michael Keaton is an iconic as crap Batman. He was he, the truth. He was he's, the a, truth. he's a legend. He's a legend. Yeah. And, God, that's why it breaks my heart so much that, man, Flash, we got to talk about Flashpoint on the next one because Ezra Miller is about to be the nail in the coffin of the DCU. Man, I thought it was already Barry, man. How, this many dude is just like... said, how many times have I said nail in the coffin on this show about the DCU? About 50 times, man. And I thought we buried it, but nah, this man they, is... They keep trying. It's, it's like being a Packers fan, man. It's like, you know, I know good and damn well that we're not going to win the Super Bowl every season because it's just, I've seen it happen too many times. I've seen it. You've I've seen, seen pain. It. I've, I've seen it, but man, five games into the season, six games into the season, Aaron Rodgers is 20 touchdowns, one pick on the year. We look unstoppable, and, and it's like, you know, this team might do something, and we might get be the, it. And then we get to the playoffs, and I'm like, what? why? Why do I let myself do – why? Why, Evan? Why? Yeah. Every year. And with the yeah. DCU, it's like – Okay, I've given up on the DCU. Michael Keaton's coming back. We were all here when I freaked out about that. You were hyped. I was so hyped. And then Ezra Miller has to get arrested. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. You can't make it up. No, sir. And now Marvel, I don't even want to make the comparisons anymore because it's so embarrassing. Marvel's best MCU show in Phase 4 beats out anything that DC could release in theaters as far as the cinematic universe goes. That's well, just for, the, for the DCU, because, I mean, I don't know. For the I'm DCU, I'm not going to say for With DC, 
I'm like, cut the crap with the cinematic universes. I just make good movies. Yeah. Joker made a billion and made a billion dollars because it's a good movie. Do that. Forgot I like, do that. Give us something good, but stop with this Marvel 2.0 dollar store brand MCU ripoff nonsense. We've been putting up with this. Oh gosh, man. It's sad. Oh. It's not it's sad. I, I, gosh, I, my final, I don't even want to touch back on the final points you were making, man, because now I'm depressed thinking about it. And it, it, it's, it's every time, dude. It's every time we get it's on. It's every the, time. Every time. Why? why? It, I feel like I'm in a relationship. You know, this is the best. Here's an analogy for you. This is what, if you were going to make an analogy comparing Marvel and DC to a relationship, Disney and the Marvel, Disney's that, what I would call the perfect girlfriend. She's loyal. She's, you know, she's great. She's smart. Makes you happy and all this. And on the rare occasion that she may or may not make a mistake, she's more than willing to come up to you and say, you know what? I'm sorry. That wasn't right. You know, I won't do that again. That's what the MCU has done. They have followed what has worked. They have followed what has not worked. DC, on the other hand, is that toxic girlfriend where you've got the guy who's just completely whipped. And it's like, no, I swear she'll change. I swear she'll get better. It'll get better. Even though the dude's mental state is going down the whole time, but he's desperately trying to convince himself for some odd reason. No, trust me, dude, this girl is really great. No, trust me. Like she's going to turn it around. She like this time, you know, you've broken up with her five times, but the sixth time, oh no, I swear she's good now. And you can make right. that for anybody who wants to call me sexist, you could change it up, boyfriend, whatever you want to do. Make the analogy, whatever you want it to mean, but people get my point. The point is Marvel gives people what they want, makes them happy. DC is trying to copy Marvel. Yeah. And it, we've made the point a million times and I'm, I'm not going to cuss about it because I don't have it in me to scream and yell and get mad anymore. Yeah. It's it's the hardest. It's the most divisive and most unfortunate situation in the history of pop culture. That's just. It's not even divisive at this point. It's just. It's sad. I can't meet anybody who's optimistic about DC moving forward. I mean, you might be optimistic about Black Adam. And I'm sure it'll be good. I'm sure Shazam will be good. But it ain't going to be the the game changer. It's not. That's how I'm over with. And you know how bad it hurts that I have to keep bringing up Heath Ledger whenever I'm trying to defend DC, a character from 2008. No offense, Eric, but I feel like an Auburn fan talking about the kick six. Hey. That's how I feel. I'm sorry. That's, no offense. That's hey, no, no, no offense taken. Cause, uh, damn. <clears throat> well, I know. It's like whenever I'm talking with an Auburn fan, I'm talking about titles, this Heisman, this, you know, playoff appearances, you know, 14 win seasons, Lord knows guess. how many years in a row, every year. And all you we know, can and say then, is the kick six. And then Auburn fan comes back, kick six. Well, that's Marvel fans. They point. Infinity War. I mean, real quick, 
Here's how many, just off the top of my head, No Way Home, Infinity War, Endgame, Avengers 1, Avengers 2, Civil War, Black Panther. That's seven movies off the top of my head that were iconic, game-changing films that crushed the box office. Off the top of my head, that's seven. As a DC fan, for me, all is the Nolan trilogy, the Snyderverse. <laughs> And that's it all ended I can do. It's been a decade since the Nolan verse ended. That, that's all I can give you. It's been a decade. Jesus. What w- did I what did we do to deserve this? I don't know, man. What if I, I'm done talking about this, man? Let's get to the next topic before I start crying on the pod. I'm kidding. Get not the higher really. I'm kidding, gotta, but not really. <laughs> not really. We got to get the higher ground. <laughs> we got to. Oh, gosh. Oh. But now, yeah, so second topic. I want to introduce this one. I've been talking to you recently because there's a lot of hype building. As people know, we're big nerds, but we're also big sports fans. Really big sports fans. And one sport that we really both love yes. is the UFC. Absolutely. And whether you're a diehard or a casual or whatever you are, everybody knows the name and everybody has some sort of reaction when you say the name Conor McGregor. The name is synonymous with a lot of things. Confidence, arrogance, money, uh, ambition. Uh, Some would go as far as douchebag in some places. He's been that, but now it seems as if Conor McGregor, there's hype building toward his return. Uh, Last I looked, I'm typing his name in real quick to see if we've got any developments. Uh, Same, same. No, we ain't got anything recently. Outside Outside of him just talking about training and his coaches saying he's ready to go back solid and seeing training videos and that and that's that's pretty much it he's bulked up a lot yeah i don't know if that's a good or bad thing but and we'll get into that because in my opinion if conor mcgregor ever wants to be a champion again he's not gonna do it in the welterweight division that ain't happening that ain't happening i'm sorry it's just he is never going to dethrone Kamara Usman. I'll say that right now. Kamara Usman, if he ever does lose, because I don't even know who's a welterweight. I mean, Colby Covington, maybe. But, I mean, dang. they That fight's happened, I think, three times now, and Colby's lost all of them. Yeah. And even though they've been somewhat close, Kamara's just too good. But when it comes to McGregor, there's all these different rumors about who he's going to fight next. Who do we want him to fight? So, Eric, here's my question to you. Two questions. Yes. First one is, who would your dream match be for McGregor coming back? And the follow-up would be, do you see any scenario where he holds championship gold again? And if so, what division? Well, number one, my dream fight for him coming back would probably be, 
I'm gonna say uh I'm gonna say what's his name? Um Ferguson. Yes, it would be Tony Ferguson because we talked about the team up fight. So for me, it would either be uh Ferguson or Nate Diaz because oh, he I forgot he, about Diaz. Yeah, he's got a trilogy with Diaz. So in my opinion, I think either Ferguson or Diaz just because McGregor needs to get back in the ring and those would be what some would consider to be highly entertaining fights, but those are really tune-up fights before he gets to the real deal, you know, the real meat and bones of the championship caliber uh, fighters. That's no, no disrespect to Nate or, or Tony, but those guys are not seeing gold anytime soon. It's just not happening. But um, I think that I think that Ferguson Diaz would definitely be my dream fights, and it's more than likely that it's going to be one of those two. It would be foolish for Connor to go straight and like the start. The people that have been calling him out recently: Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier. Oh, Charles uh, his ass. Hey, them boys Connor. want. They they want all the smoke. Uh, who who else was it? Uh, Charles wants that easy payday. That's what he wants. He knows that Conor McGregor is going to make him more money than any other fight. So of course oh, yeah. he's going to call out McGregor. Make no make no mistake. Uh, and who's the other guy that just called him out? I forgot who it was. Um, he just had an iconic knockout. It was uh. Oh, Michael Chandler. Yes, Michael Chandler. Before Connor gets to any of those guys, he needs to handle Ferguson or Diaz or do a tune-up fight, whatever division he wants to go. Secondly, will he ever see championship gold again? Look, I'm going to keep it real with you. I love more in this life than to see an athlete who does two things. Number one, has a Hall of Fame and solidifies themselves outside of the sport were respectively great in and set themselves up for life. When we think about those athletes, the list is endless. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, uh, uh, endless plethora stars, Tom Brady, you name anybody who's had the opportunity to play pro sports, make an impact, and then afterwards have a chance to build something on the side that they can retire off of and keep their legacy going. Connor has done that. Connor has had a Hall of Fame UFC career with what he's a in the UFC. And he's got top selling whiskey brand that he's sold for north of 500 something million with the stakes still in there. So he's going to be a billionaire one day. You know? And so Connor does not have to fight a day in his life if he doesn't want to. You go to Instagram now, all we see is parties, parties, chilling, business deals, all that. Connor does nothing else he don't got to set foot in the octagon but right now it's not about money it's about his legacy. and right now his legacy is not good standing because he's brought the most entertainment value to the ufc but in terms of what we're going to talk about as the goats and who we're going to talk about as the best champions of all time connor's up there but there are people above him right now that put him a little weight you know due to these past few years and what's been going on so will he see championship gold again i believe he will what division i'm gonna have to say if he goes back to his original division which i believe was what 
bantamweight or lightweight? Featherweight. Featherweight. If he goes back to featherweight, yes. Has a hundred reaching, and there's some bad boys in that division, but he has a hundred percent chance of uh, of reaching championship gold in that division again if he if he's willing to cut that weight. If he goes to welterweight or any of those above, because I be, what what division did he face Nate Diaz in? Was it welterweight? Or was uh, no, it light that was, I think it was lightweight. It was lightweight. He mm-hmm. could make he could make some lightweight division because he looked really good going against Nate those two times. His only issue with Connor that's been universally pointed out is his conditioning. His conditioning is just like. It's not there. You know, I mean, he, he'll come out strong in the first one or two rounds. He'll finish. But when it gets to them third and fourth, when it gets to the championship rounds, Connor is gasping. He's heavy. So his cardio and his endurance hasn't always been there, which I hope when he returns will be better than what it was before. But if he goes to featherweight or if he goes to uh, lightweight, I think he'll see championship gold again. If he chooses to go to welterweight, People wouldn't be shocked. People would pay money to see him go welterweight, but it's going to be tough to do that. I would give him at least at least a 30-40% chance to reach gold if he goes to welterweight because that's Kamaru. That's Kamaru. And look, that's that's fair. That's me being – I'm the biggest Connor fan you know. I mean, I'll that's take it, bro, but – yeah. Bro, 30 to 40% chance. Ain't no way Connor going to go – way to not put on a freaking show but when we look at the the welterweight rankings who's in there kamaru who's an absolute beast you saw how he handled uh how he handled uh what's his name uh everyone everyone pretty much colby he's handled freaking uh knock masvidal out with one bro caught masvidal lacking and he's a great wrestler too so i mean the welterweight division is tough as it is, but can Connor climb those ranks? Absolutely. It's just some tough guys in that division that are real hungry. Let's look at them. Uh, let's see. We got Kamaru, evil. Kobe Covington, evil. Leon Kaz- Edwards. Leon, Leon, yes, Leon Edwards. Gilbert Kazmat- Burns. Gilbert Burns. Kazmat, uh Chimev, Chimev, if Ooh, I'm I forgot it. Ooh. That boy right there, boy? No, he no, sir. Stephen Thompson, who's been on a losing streak lately. He hasn't really won a lot. He should be winning more. But, he's I mean. He's still Wonder Boy. He's still Wonder Boy. Michael Chiesa. Like, dude, Nate, he's there. He can he can take Nate. He can do Nate. But a lot. And then the rest of the rankings, I mean, a lot of these guys, I mean, I don't even know. Matt Brown. But, I mean, Matt Brown's on his way. He's a legend, though. No doubt. Um. But yeah, I mean, these rankings, Connor could easily go through at least about half of these rankings. He could go through at least half of them. But when it gets to like when it gets to like the top 20, top 15, top 10 welterweight fighters, Kamaru, Covington, Cosmite, Gilbert, you know what I'm saying? Jorge, Stephen, he's going to have a problem with those guys. He could easily do half the division. But when it gets to them top 10, top uh, it's going to be a little bit harder. That's why I give him a 30 to 40% chance. Okay. So uh, allow me very quickly before I touch on every, I just sounded like, Steven. <coughs> huh. okay, it's my turn. 
<laughs> My so, turn. I love, I, I love Skip and Shannon. I, I really do. I Best sports show on on TV ever. I would agree with that if Inside the NBA didn't exist. Shaq and Charles, man, them two. Idiots, them two. man. Idiots, um, man. But, but let me start off by being as objective as possible. Yeah. And I'll give Connor credit where credit's due. Um, I used to be a big fan of him. And I had a lot of respect for him. And, and I still do in a lot of senses. Um, I didn't have an issue with Conor McGregor taking the fight against Floyd. There were a lot of people who had a problem with that. And I'm thinking, you may have a problem with it, but there ain't a single one of y'all that would have passed that up. Not one. Not sure. one person is going to pass up the opportunity to make $100 million. And so that didn't do anything but help Connor's popularity, and it helped. I thought it brought helped bring popularity back to boxing and UFC. I thought yeah. that really helped grow the sport because that was a great fight. Um, Floyd won, big shot, but big shot. Yeah, I don't. I never gave Connor a chance in that one, not because I thought Floyd would knock him out. I'm just thinking Floyd's untouchable. If Manny Pacquiao or Canelo Alvarez couldn't knock him out, Connor didn't have a chance. Right. But having said that, Connor McGregor is one of the most dangerous fighters in UFC history. The man's got 19 KOs to his record. 19. That's yeah. another, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's impressive as heck. And it, it it aggravates me when Connor haters are like, oh, but he's never really done. Like he's overrated. And I'm thinking. Maybe to a certain extent, because I don't have him on Anderson Silva, John Jones, GSP, or Khabib level. I have him like half a level under them. Half a yeah. level. And I only say half a level because he's got, he was the first ever double division champ. And that's yeah. nothing to sneeze at. However, no. that, that was only one fight. And Eddie Alvarez is not even, he's not even Charles Oliveira. That's, now, Eddie was a legit champ, but he's not one of the all-time great lightweight champions. So I don't want to demean that, but I'm not I'm not a hater of Connor, but I'm also not Connor's on GOAT status. I don't have him there yet. I think he's one of the most popular ever, but I think when you look at the resume of John Jones, who's had more title fight wins than regular fight wins, I mean, dang. I mean, that's insane. Then you look at Khabib, never lost a fight, GSP, all-time legend, Anderson Silva, all-time legend. Conor McGregor is, he's an all-time great, but I just don't have him in that upper edge. Like, I wouldn't have him on the Mount Rushmore of UFC in terms of who's the best. Most iconic, yes, but not best, if that makes any sense. back i'm back i'm back sorry about that no we're good we're good we're having a great talk but real quick the final point i was making was sort of i would have conor mcgregor on a mount rushmore of ufc for most iconic which is four people but not top four best 
if that makes any sense. Because mine would be John Jones, Anderson Silva, Khabib, and GSP. My take yeah. is all those guys are more accomplished than him. Now, yeah. to answer my own question about my dream match, I share the opinion of Ferguson because, number one, Ferguson hates McGregor. There's beef there. So that alone would sell the fight. Um, it was also a spot above McGregor in the rankings, so that would help him ascend. I think that would be a good fight for either one of them to regain popularity because Mantoni hadn't been the same ever since he fought Gaethje. No. Because, dang. Gaethje did something to that boy. Tony Ferguson invented a new style of defense called blocking strikes with my face. Yeah. I mean, that was so bad. Like, face never... face jitsu. Oh my gosh, that was brutal. So that would be a great fight. Now, in terms of Conor McGregor ever seeing championship gold again, I don't want to sound like I'm hating. I have seen, uh, if Conor McGregor was still who he was pre-Floyd Mayweather fight, I would say yes, there's a chance. The problem is, he has not been the same Connor since he came back. And I'm going to give you sort of an analogy, not an analogy, but just a comparison of what I think has happened to McGregor. I don't yeah. think he's gone soft like a lot of people think. Here's what I think's happened. I believe it's not the Floyd Mayweather fight that changed him. I'm of the belief the Khabib fight changed him. And here's what I mean by that. One of the guys I have on my top four best all time is Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva is the most dominant middleweight champion we've ever seen. And for a long time, he looked unbeatable. He looked like he was just going to reign forever until he got cocky in the ring with Chris Weidman and Chris knocked him out. Yeah. Ever since that fight, Anderson was never the same. He, he never again became the spider. He's good. We like him. But he never again became cold-blooded Anderson the Spider Silva that we all knew and respected. He never right. did that. With Conor McGregor, a big part of his strategy and what made him so big is the trash talk. And when he was a featherweight, it worked primarily in the Jose Aldo fight because Jose Aldo, the most dominant featherweight champion ever, when he got in the ring with Connor for the first time ever, Jose looked nervous. He looked like he was, I'm not going to say he was afraid of Connor. He wasn't. He looked uncomfortable. The trash talk got to him. He looked very uncomfortable and he fought very, very, very uncharacteristically. Like he ran right at Connor. And I'm like, that's not what Jose Aldo does. And Connor was able to get him to throw something that left him open. Connor clipped him one time, and that was it. That was it. So that's the Connor that I could see winning. I think what changed Connor was when he fought Khabib and he looked across the octagon at a man who had the trash talk had no impact on him. And he was just, well, it did, but not in a good way. And yeah. he's, he's looking at this machine 
who's like, brother, I don't give a damn about these lights. I don't care about these lights. I don't care about this press conference. I don't care about the numbers on this pay-per-view. I don't care about money. I don't care about none of that. All I care about is I finally get an opportunity to kick your butt. That's all was on that man's mind. And Khabib fought uncharacteristically because I'm used to watching Khabib get guys on the ground. But Khabib stood up and went toe-to-toe with the man and won. And that, in my opinion, is what changed him because there's no way that didn't shake his confidence. When you have the biggest fight of your career and that's what happens, that messes with you. Now, granted, after that, they gave him the sacrificial lamb known as Cowboy Cerrone, all-time great, but we've already talked about how that was a – Going out and make – yeah. Yeah, we need Connor to win. So who's somebody that we can put that Connor can beat that's a draw? And that was Cowboy. But the next two fights that followed when he fought a legit contender and Dustin Poirier – he did not look good. And I understand in the second fight he broke his leg, but he did not look like Connor. He looked unsure of like I, I'm used to seeing Connor getting the ring in that octagon with swagger. I'm used to watching him, you know, he's got the funky stances that he walks around in, just like Anderson used to. I'm that's what I'm used to seeing. Not yeah. watching Connor throw standard punches and look like an average Joe like he did against Dustin in the last two fights. Like, you saw the way he knocked out Cowboy. It was with his shoulder. I'm like, that's, that is Conor McGregor. So we that's, know Conor is better than what he'd been putting on. Yes, and I am of the belief that Conor McGregor's confidence has been shaken big time. So for me, Conor in my opinion, is never going to see championship gold again in any division because I think the Lee, I think the UFC has evolved. You know, you mentioned, let me pull up the, the rankings. I mean, the lightweight rankings, hold on. And, and I'll just, I'll go through these names, like lightweight or um, even welterweight. Cause, and, and real briefly, I don't see him doing anything at welterweight because the bigger you get, the slower you get, and Conor McGregor's always been his most dangerous when he's got all that speed. Yeah. So I'm looking at the lightweight division. He's currently ranked 12th. Okay. I, I think he could take Tony Ferguson. That'd be a great fight. Uh, but I'm looking at these top at the top five. Michael Chandler, Islam Mekachev, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, and Charles Oliveira. I'm not taking Connor to beat any of those guys right now with what I've seen him do since he's come back. I have no reason to believe that Connor can beat any of those guys. Now, if he was still the Connor that was pre Khabib and Mayweather, yes, I would take him. I mean, I'd be like, I don't know who's going to win between Justin and Connor because they're both great strikers, but I've seen Dustin beat him twice now. So I've got no reason to believe that Connor would win. I understand way back when Connor beat him, but I'm of the belief Dustin got better because I saw it happen not once but twice. Charles 
how to get people on the ground, and that's been Connor's kryptonite. And I'm looking at the the welterweight division. Stephen Thompson, I'd take him in that fight. Vicente Luke would knock Connor out. Uh, Gilbert Burns would knock him out. Oh man, like you were talking about. Uh, I don't even know how to say his name. The Russian dude that's undefeated comes it. Kazmat. Kazmat. Kamayachev, I think. Yeah, Kaz. We'll call him Kazmat. Kazmat. That dude. Heck, I think he's almost like a full foot taller than Connor. That's a big. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Hold on. How tall is Connor? Connor is. He's five nine. And uh, hold on, Kazmat is six two. That's a big ass difference. Yeah, Connor's you. He's used to beating guys that are either his size or smaller than him. Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez. Um, trying to think of other examples, but you get my point. It seems as if Connor's been having issues when he's fighting guys who are his size or bigger, like Khabib, like Poirier. And so I w- if I had to pick a division that I could see Connor ever winning gold in again, it would probably be featherweight, even though Max Holloway is in that division. Alexander Volkanovsky is in that division. Brian Ortega is in that division. I'd give him the best chance there, but realistically, he's going to be lightweight or welterweight. So if I had to pick between the two, I don't give him a big chance in either, but I'd have to go lightweight because he's not going to beat Kamara Usman. I don't see the universe, and that's not a disrespect to Connor. I am not trying to disrespect Connor by saying that. I'm just putting respect on Kamara Usman's name because I've seen what that man can do. And I understand that, you know, everybody's got a puncher's chance, but dang, you've watched the man fight before, right? I have. I mean, he he knocked out Colby Covington, and then he knocks it, or then he beats Jorge, knocks out Gilbert Burns. Knocks out uh, Joe uh, Jorge in brutal fashion, and then he just absolutely whooped Colby in that unanimous decision fight. Like, yeah, Colby had his moments where it looked good, but I- I've seen all I need to see from from Colby to know that he's really, really good, and he can challenge Kamara, but he's not going to beat him. Kamara's too good. Now, I'm excited for the matchup with Leon Edwards. That's going to be a good one. But yeah. in, in terms of McGregor, I want him to come back and do good because I think that Connor he is good for the sport. I understand people hate him, and the Dolly incident was not good for UFC because that's not what, this, what the sport should be. But we all agree that that was taken too far. We, we all agree that that high and, – and Dana White should have been ashamed of himself using the the dolly as hype for the fight. That well, was – I mean, I mean – I understand why he did it from a business perspective, but on the flip side, Khabib is not like everybody else. Khabib didn't see that and think, oh, yeah, this is going to sell the fight. 
and like I'm gonna make more money. Now Khabib saw that and thought, yep, yep. Keep reminding me of that. Keep reminding me of that. That was his thought process. Well, here here's the thing. Number one, I would disagree with you about Connor's motivation. Number one, I don't think his confidence <clears throat> has ever been shaken. I don't think it can be. Mm-hmm. I do believe, however, that the reason why you we're not seeing the same Conor McGregor is because, number one, Conor is a showman, and he's a businessman beyond that. Right. We've seen the deals he's made with the UFC, the whiskey, the branding deals, all of that. We've seen all that. And he's comfortable, and no athlete can tell you any different. He is. He's very comfortable right now, and you don't have the urge that fighters hunger as much because you're not starving like the rest of these fighters are you're not out here making you know half of what or even one eighth or one fourth of what connor makes every fight what connor was making during those fights is unheard of compared to what ufc fighters are fighting to get today so with that being said i mean connor has always been that guy confidentially confidently confident wise as far as the the khabib fight i only can discredit i only my only pushback against that is the motivation for that fight which was um his friend and and one of his fighters um who got into it with khabib at a hotel and they ended up getting into it and khabib called him some words and they spoke talked each other back and forth and then his buddy or uh friend calls connor connor hopped on a jet that night with a whole bunch of irish guys and they were going to meet khabib and on some street level stuff now that's not i'm not saying that's professional i'm not justifying that but i'm just like like khabib khabib slapping his friend was absolutely no allegedly was absolutely no justification for Connor to throw a dolly through a no, bus no. and cost six fighters their paycheck. No, I'm not. I'm not justifying that at all. I'm just laying out. I'm not justifying that at all. You're absolutely right. I'm just laying out the background of what people perceive to be that, as per what Dana White said, of course. But Connor knew, and that was justice because Connor shouldn't have done that. He took it a step too far. You know what I'm saying? He mentioned some other things about uh, Khabib's uh, beliefs and all that. That was a bit too far. That's not the usual Conor trash talk. And, of course, costing other fighters their paycheck. So, of course, he not only was that a lesson for Conor to learn and a humble lesson for him to learn, but he also just lost to the better fighter that night as well. So I don't think that would have been anything to for him to lose his confidence over. He was arrogant. He made a mistake. He got humbled. But I mean, he lost to the <clears throat> he lost to the better fighter, period, respectively. So those were two guys at the height of their game, and that was for all the marbles. So he lost to the better fighter at the top of his game. So let's see, my stance is like I don't even think Connor was at the top of his game in that fight. Because I mean you gotta remember and, and this is where I'll, I'll actually give Connor credit. He there's no way he's at the, there's no way you're at the top of your game when you haven't fought in two years. I, I think that's something that gets swept under the rug a lot. I mean, 
like imagine if Tom Brady at the New England Patriots just took two years off and didn't play football and came back. He wouldn't look the same. Right. Not at first, but imagine if he came back after two years and the first game he plays in is the Super Bowl against the best team, the best defense. That's a recipe for failure. That's what that 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 is setting yourself up for failure. And that's the equivalent of what McGregor did. I don't have a problem with the Floyd fight, but I have a problem with, like, brother, you took two years off and you really think you're going to get in the octagon and beat this guy who has been straight bullying people. Like, there was no nice way around what Khabib was doing when he was there. He could do whatever he wanted. He took the fight wherever he wanted. He kept it where he wanted. No one could stop him. He's unbeatable. He's undefeated. He retired undefeated. He did everything he wanted to do, which, damn. And well, Connor <clears throat> took two years off, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to come back and beat him. What? Yeah. Like, I'm of the opinion that Connor – now, real quick, I don't think Connor could have beat Khabib even at the top of his game, but we'll never know. But – my stance is that was a really dumb idea to take two years off, come back and fight Khabib. And it was even dumber on top of all that for him to be talking all that noise. He was talking, pissing Khabib off. Cause as I keep saying, Russians don't play that. They, they don't play around like that, man. None of them do. No, Not, they don't. They don't man. That the Russian culture is huge on honor and respect. And now I, I'll give Connor the benefit of the doubt. He was drinking that whiskey during them press conferences. So maybe he was just drunk, popping off like he was and not really thinking. But that ain't how Khabib saw it. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 re, I'll, retail, I'll restructure my point. It was the most build and anticipated fight between two of the best fighters, but I will, I will recant out. I'll, I'll recant that and say that he was, cause he did take two years off. So I do, I do, I'd have to take that into consideration. However, after that fight with everything that Connor's accomplished, that's no re he got humbled. Yeah. He learned a lesson, but to lose his confidence. No, I just think that he's got very, very comfortable because he got a taste of what, Floyd did as a fighter he was already doing that as a fighter and doing it better than any UFC fighter has and he got comfortable and there's and, and there's no shame in that that's no knock if you're a fighter you know what that life is like and that's a tough life to live to try to fight and then make a living off fighting Connor was the first fighter in the UFC to make it to that point where UFC fighters could live that kind of lifestyle because it wasn't like that before so I think he got comfortable money wise and i think he's real like even after he lost to poirier the second time due to the injury even after all of that like dude dude was still set business was still popping off his legacy now in question yes and that's what we're talking about now him having to come back and see what he can do to finish off his legacy to 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 sort of continue where he should have left off so to speak so and that but the game has evolved like me and you said so i'm i'm not sure i i think that he could do lightweight welterweight if he goes there 
cardio his cardio his cardio has to be good. That's always been Connor's number one hang up. That's always well, been yeah, the, the issue. Well, the the it's it's a combination of the cardio and the style in which he fights. Connor, the style in which he fights, yes. Like Connor shoots a really like he comes out hard in the first round. He comes yeah. out, he's swinging, he's looking for that early knockout, and that's how Floyd was able to beat him in the boxing match. Like I, I don't even think Floyd threw a punch in the first three rounds. He just right. stood there, walked right at Connor, and said, "All right, big boy, knock me out. Let's see what you got." And then Connor got gassed, and once he got gassed, Floyd was like, "All right, my turn." Right. And that's kind of been, and that's what uh, Khabib did to him in the fight. Like you notice in round one, all Khabib did was get on top of him and let Connor use up all his energy trying to get out of it. Yeah. He's like, "You got a choice. You can either use your energy and tire yourself out." Or you can just go limp, and I can tap you out right now. What you want to do? That's how yeah. Beeb operates, and there's just nothing anyone can do in that situation. And then you saw after that, you know, Connor was just tired. He did all right in round three, but man, once round four came around, and Khabib's like, "All right, it's time for you to go to sleep." There was there was just nothing he could do at that point. He was finished. And right now, my my point. I mean, maybe I was wrong in saying his confidence was shaken. But I'll say that he's – I mean, you have to admit, his stance, watching the Poirier fight, he doesn't walk around with the same swagger that he once did. I think you have to agree with that. He doesn't walk around with that swagger. Watch him against Jose Aldo and then watch him against Poirier in either fight. You know, in the Jose Aldo fight, he's looking Jose down. He's doing all this crazy stuff. He's sticking his tongue out, laughing, smiling, like acting like the Joker, acting like he's crazy. When he's fighting Poirier, he ain't doing any of that. He's just standing there like an average Joe. And I, I don't have a problem. Yeah, that, that second fight, that second fight with Poirier, that humility started to show. And that obviously wasn't Connor because Connor likes to trash talk. He likes to do all of that. And he didn't do that that second fight. He was way too humble. He was quiet, and it was out of character for him. So obviously, yeah, I I would definitely like agree that that was two different styles of Connor. And so, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that it's happened. And he's lucky. He's lucky that his his third loss to his uh second loss to Poirier wasn't because he just got outright like because it was a pretty even fight up until he fractured his leg but when i tell you connor is lucky he is so lucky that he did not lose that fight via knockout or via judge's decision because if he did we would not be having this conversation right now there would be no need of talking about connor because his legacy in the ufc would be finished as of right now no one would be trying to see him right now but because he's must-see entertainment and so controversial it's crazy how he just the universe chose okay we got to have this fight end on an injury and so i mean like yeah it it's unfortunate which is why he has to return it doesn't matter how he does it it doesn't matter which division he goes to dude just get back in the octagon and fight and get back to being the person that you used to be because he's lost it no matter whether we believe it to the money or whether he lost something against Khabib or Poirier. Dude's just got to get back there, man. He's got to. 
My only pushback to what you said is that the fight was even prior to Connor breaking his leg because Dustin got a 10 8 that round. Which, for anybody who doesn't know what that means, a 10 8 essentially means you got your butt kicked. And that ground and pound, it was brutal. And the, the part of that fight I found most interesting was as McGregor said, Hey, Poirier, first one to go for a submission's a bitch. And then Connor went for a guillotine. Yeah. I was like, see, that's what I'm talking about when Connor's acting different. Like in the past, Connor, like Mystic Mac, as he called himself, you know, he used to say, I'm going to knock you out in this round. And Connor would come out and do exactly that. That Connor, we ain't seen him in a long time. And that's the Connor McGregor that's got to come back if he ever wants to see championship gold again. And I'm kind of pessimistic about it, not because I think Connor's bad. I think Connor's very good. It's just that I happen to believe that the rest of the UFC has gotten better. And I'm looking at guys like Justin Gaethje. I'm looking at guys like Oliveira, who people got to start respecting that man. I am really getting fed up with people still not putting respect on Charles's name. Yeah. Like, who does this man have to beat? After, you know, beating, I mean, he knocked the crap out of Michael Chandler, and then he beat Gaethje, and then he beats Poirier. I mean, like, he's beaten everyone could be beat. Yeah. And he did it after, you know, he had, like, he had a bit of a rough patch, but, bro, dude has been on a tear so yeah. I mean, we got to put respect on, on Oliveira's name. And, and it kind of, it just aggravates me that people don't want to do that. I, I don't, yeah. get, I, I don't get people, man. I don't get them either. I gotta, you gotta give respect where respect is due. Oh yeah. It, yeah. But man, this was a good one. And I tell you for, for our next podcast, there's all kind of different ways that, that, that we could take this. We could talk about the Brittany Griner situation, which is in the news right now. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have to. We're going to have to. Man, I don't. I'll just give people a little preview. I'm really getting sick and tired of people whenever something happens. Like the the analogy, if it was LeBron James, and I'm thinking, Jesus, look, LeBron James is not your average NBA player. (laughs) And people comparing WNBA salaries to LeBron James's salary. I'm like, y'all do know. That there's only like eight guys in the NBA that make that kind of money. Right. And LeBron James makes that kind of money because the Manhattan played for an empty seat since he walked into the into the league a hundred years ago. Yeah. And he's like the biggest name in the league. But we'll talk about that. Talk about, I mean, dang, dude, there's so much to talk about. I don't even know. Yeah. There's a lot to tackle, and we definitely going to do it. We're going to make it happen. And we're going to get back in the habit of regular podcasts, man. These hiatuses, they got to stop. They got to stop. They got to. And the people talking- need us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The black and white podcast. We don't sugarcoat anything here, and we got to give people raw, unfiltered, unbiased opinions. Unbiased opinion. Straight up. Oh, yeah. But, brother, I had a blast coming back and doing the Man, I've missed this. Absolutely, man. Me too, bro. And I look forward to our next podcast 
next weekend straight up, and we will be there for it. Yes, sir. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for tuning in to J House Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Eric Houston, with my co-host, Evan Elliott. I will catch you guys later, man. Peace. Peace. Thank you for joining. This has been another edition of J House Radio.